Hello and welcome to another Musical.ly Focus. I'm Musical.ly's editor, Joe Sparrow, and this episode we're joined by David Martin, who's CEO of the Featured Artists Coalition, the FAC, which is the UK trade body that represents the rights and interests of music artists. We're going to talk to David about two of the key needs that emerging artists have, that is to say, a guiding hand at the right time and making money from merchandise. Now, each Music Ally Focus episode analyzes one meaningful music business story at a time. And so this podcast is going to be brief. It should take about the same amount of time as Nuri Ayachi, a.k.a. Ko, and Carlo Lenzoni, a.k.a. Charlie Kidd, and Marielle Shehi could execute 1,000 choke slams. Our intrepid trio achieved 34 choke slams in one minute in 2010. Now, talking of choking, some emerging artists may choke on their cornflakes when they find out that venues that they're about to play in are going to ask for 25% plus tax of all the merchandise they sell in the venue. That's one of the realities of touring that the FAC has decided to campaign against. And we're about to talk to CEO David Martin about its 100% Venues campaigns, which is a public database of UK and North American venues that charge zero commission on artists' merchandise sales, and about the needs of emerging artists who are hitting the cusp of success, and why the FAC has decided to inject cash and connections at that point where they think the artist is about to turn a corner. It's a great conversation. Let's go over to David right now. Well, I'm extremely happy to welcome uh, David Martin from the FAC to the podcast. Hello, David. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Good to see you. Now, let's just kick, kick things off at a basic uh, level. Can you explain who you are and what the FAC does and why what it does is important? Yeah, so I'm David Martin. I'm the CEO of a Featured Artist Coalition. We're the UK trade body that represents the rights and interests of the community of artists that's in the UK. And we also have some overseas members as well. Um, we do broadly three things. We we educate artists and bring them together to create community. We do some sort of leadership and bits of research. And we work on policy, advocacy, and lobbying for the artist community. Um, and I suppose the thing that makes all of that important and the reason that we do all of that is because we exist to provide artists with the voice, both within the music industry and more broadly, you know, everybody knows the impact that music has, but often artists, creators haven't been well represented and that perspective hasn't been clearly voiced in the past. And, and the FAC exists to do that on behalf of featured artists. Yeah. And actually, in, in recent years, the voice of the artist, the songwriter and the, and the performer is something we've heard a lot more of as you know, we, it's easy to criticise social media for lots of things, and probably rightly so, but what, what that co direct connection with artists and songwriters has done is been able to sort of expose what they're really feeling to their fans, and people have taken up their causes and, and started to make changes. So I guess, you, I guess you're probably, you're, are you seeing, we're hearing the voices of artists saying the things they want changing. It, it, do you see the pace of change changing itself? I think there is change. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, one of the things that social media set out to do and did do was provide many more people with a voice publicly and you know, putting aside the uh, unintended consequences that we might face with yes. social media. I think it achieved that um, in, in some areas and in lots of ways, I would agree. Voice of artists is louder now. I think you, you have a much broader community of trade organizations and 
bodies and groups of creators coming together with a with an ability to put their opinions into the ether or make those make make their voices heard and make their opinions public and and also sort of give people a look under the bonnet of what has been happening because I think you know many many decades of the past twenty years or so twenty to thirty years or so I don't think that had happened I think there were certain gatekeepers within the industry I think there were certain organisations which who who spoke on behalf of inverted commas, the whole industry, but didn't necessarily represent the interests of the whole industry. And yet, despite that, we, you know, we are hearing from artists, one of the things they're saying is that the power balance is still not right, and they want to make changes. And some of the things you're doing at the FAC are designed to do that specifically, and we're going to talk about a couple of those uh, now. Um, the, the first one I want to talk to you about was the step-up funding prize, which is for emerging artists. Can you explain what that is, but also sort of how that connects to that sort of bigger picture thing of how empowerment of, of artists? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we just actually last week announced the second cohort of, of Step Up Fund awardees. That's our talent development program, our flagship program, which is generously supported by Amazon Music. And it's aimed at supporting acts at a very specific time in, in their careers, at a very specific point. Um, and ironically, hence the name, it's at a point where they need a step up in their career and some support to do that. And when we were looking to design the program, we, we took a fair bit of time to look at what the funding landscape looked like in the UK, for new artists, um, where this funder might sit, and at what point in their careers artists needed an injection of support and of cash to, to move them forward. And we realized that w- there was a really tough point where artists had maybe started to have some impact. They'd maybe started to build a fan base, but they wanted to compete in a slightly more professional environment, whether that was touring, whether that was the quality of music videos they were putting out, content they were putting out, whether that was the studios that they wanted to work in to record their next project, we realized that at a certain point where where artists didn't have the backing of a large independent label or they didn't have the backing of a major label, it was really hard. And you started to see this dividing line between those that were invested in and and those that didn't have the access to that resource. I mean, we're seeing so much great talent out there that we felt that where we where we placed this band was was as a result of that. So, so awardees get a grant of up to £8,000 and they get a whole host of other benefits and mentor support and access to other sort of um, other advice from the industry. And they just get to tap into this network, which sometimes quite things that might seem quite innocuous, just, just conversations with somebody else that's been down the route that they've gone down to, whether it's to release a project or whether it's to work with a certain distributor yeah. So these are artists who have achieved a certain level of connection with their audience, you know, a certain number of streams and a certain number of releases and already on their own. And, th- and then there's a sort of lag point where they need that little extra push. And, and that's what this does through, as you said, money, money and the connectivity. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So so this year, the artists either had to have three tracks with more than 15,000 streams on a, on a chart-eligible UK streaming platform or one track with over 45,000 streams that have been UK-based and not already in an ongoing relationship with a large independent 
or in or, or a major label or in receipt of a very large advance. I presume that this is a, a group of artists who are sort of falling between two stools in a sense, because like you say, they don't have that arrangement with a bigger company that can assist them with monetarily or, or, or with um, connections. And they're sort of not in that sort of phase where they're fully independent and not really sort of reaching the the success level that they want yet. So they're sort of falling in between these two gaps where they perhaps can't do everything themselves anymore but don't have that bigger connectivity point. And these artists and artists in general are more visible than ever and hypothetically they have more control than ever as well because they can choose what they do and they can distribute themselves and blah, blah, blah. And yet what you're saying here, it sounds like, is that there is a disconnect, that there are... Okay, the, the gatekeeper structure has changed from the olden days but... That disconnects. It feels. It can feel as strong as ever. The gatekeepers, the power structure, can feel as strong as it ever has been. So, you, obviously, you're addressing that directly with money and uh, and influence, which is good. But I mean, what other changes do you think the industry could take on board that maybe in a broader sense that allows artists to have the control and the visibility they want, but allows success for everybody? Yeah, I, I think. Look, I think that power that. In gatekeeper power that you refer to. I think it's about three different things. I think it's about the visibility itself, which which in today's world often costs money, which is sort of what the fund is trying to do, whether that's to get in front of an audience physically, whether that's to be able to market yourself, whether that's to be able to put together the next release. So I think it's about that visibility. I think it's about that voice and, and that representation as well. And I think I think that visibility helps with that. And I think that the, the types of things that organizations like the FAC are doing that maybe didn't exist 15, 20 years ago, the networks that artists are starting to bring together themselves. I think all of these things are really, are really useful in in sort of elevating um, elevating that impact beyond just being visible on social media, which is what I think you were sort of refer, or, or, or visible on a, a streaming platform, mm. which is I think what you were referring to. The, the sorts of things that the FAC does on a policy level, where we're talking about what that landscape looks like for artists um, within the industry or to government, I think I think that stuff is very important as well. And I think, you know, expect me to say this, but I think Artists and creators joining organizations or supporting organizations and work organizations like ours, I think that stuff is really helpful as well in terms of moving the conversation forward and in terms of giving the broader artist community more more agency, really. And that's the kind of thing that from an artist's perspective is often often feels kind of oblique, doesn't it? If it like or distant or you know, it's 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 how do you know, you feel alone as an artist. You are almost by definition, unless you're in a you know, you're in a band and you're all pulling together. You you feel like you're working, operating on your own and outside of everything, and it's you versus the world. So it's 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 kind of hard to make a connection between government policymaking, isn't it? But actually, or, or any other policymaking. But then that that is where those changes will happen. I guess it, 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 you're you're absolutely right. And and actually, I think even for people that long in the industry, it can it can feel like that intangible connection mm. between their day to day life and work as an artist and, and these conversations that might be happening around as it might be perceived big tables in, in the industry or in, or in Whitehall. But I think that's the job of 
that's our job really is to be better at explaining what we do and being I think we've been a lot more visible in that and I think it's become a lot more tangible whether that's around payment for, for um, freelancers during the pandemic whether that's around post-Brexit touring whether that's around you know funding for PRS foundation those sorts of things I think running those campaigns makes what we do much more tangible I think for lots mm. of things connections much more and it, and it just engages them with our works certainly the onus is on us to do that you know artists don't go into don't become artists so they can deal with the business of music usually or so they can engage with trade bodies but we we try to explain that this is sort of this is your career this is your day job and you should you should have an awareness of what's going on it is your sort of the administrative end of your business if you like which keeps the creative end going and you should be engaged with it but but i i think that is down to our ability to to explain what we're doing and, and uh, make sure our members are aware. And I guess there is a wider understanding that of, uh, amongst artists, you know, that, that are, you know, there was a perception, maybe even in the recent past, that artists just didn't, like, they didn't understand how the business worked other than a very narrow way. And I feel like now that there's a, there's a clear step towards a wider understanding. And obviously the, the bit you're talking about is quite near the sort of top in the big umbrella area, but there's still, you know, you're obviously getting through there and that's changing, isn't it? Um, I will put a link to um, the, uh, the the step up uh, funding uh, and the, the prize and the nominations and people can have a listen to them uh, for themselves. And, um, but you, like there, there is that other group of artists, isn't there, that are emerging and, you know, they're, n- they're not quite at that level. Uh, they're not able to get the financial support from something like step up or they're not or from a, a label perhaps. And that's, I mean, this is the, uh, this is the million dollar question always, but other than be good, you know, and, and, and make good music, what, what, what in this new current environment is, is good advice for sort of, keeping moving forwards and getting to the stage where they can start to get attention of people who can make a difference yeah. and help them. I, 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 despite you having said it, I'm going to reiterate that. First and foremost, get your art right. I mean, I, I, we have this conversation quite a lot with, you know, artists come to us for advice. And, and it is tricky, especially when, when artists are at a very early stage because we, we made the argument that access to the market is, is easy now, but you're accessing a more saturated market than you've ever seen. So you're trying to keep social media going, create videos, do this, do that, you know, do lots of things, wear lots of hats and keep lots of plates spinning to, to, to get yourself out there. And sometimes it's, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that artists, great artists create great art. Mm. So I, I know you said it, but I think it is worth saying again, I think, um, I think recognize that it's a competitive landscape and it's, particularly competitive in the UK. And this is something that we we continually talk about in our in our advocacy and lobbying work is that actually we're very good at music in the UK. We're not we're not well supported actually as a sector. So I think having a bit of awareness that it that it is a tough environment, I think that's important. And and, and so try not to be disheartened, I would say, in the early stages. And um, Try to bank those wins and try to recognize those wins. And I think that, um, I think looking at what gets you to the next stage of your career and trying to, trying to sort of goal set uh, is, is really valuable for artists because somebody might say, well, yeah, I want to be the top artist on X streaming service. Okay, what's going to get you to, to carry on being an artist? What's going to grow your career? And I, I, I sound very, very simple, 
advice, but is it is it doing those, those live shows? Is it having an end to get across all the streaming platforms and get X number of streams, which is better than your last release? And, and I know this sounds like quite low-level advice, but I think that it's quite easy to get swallowed up in that big picture. It's a competitive landscape. It's It's a very, very noisy landscape. And there are a plethora of ways to be an artist and to build an artist business. So I think, I think there's a there's a sort of bit of cutting yourself some slack to some degree. But I think sort of being really laser focused on the art. Yeah, I mean, being an artist is hard, isn't it? Because your, your biggest critic is yourself, and uh, you know, it's and, and you're naturally impatient. I mean, it's 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 one of those complicated uh, parts of being an artist, isn't it? I guess. And now, one thing that helps build an audience for those whether you're touring those 50 to 60 uh, ven- capacity toilet venues or whether you're uh, you know operating purely online one of the things that helps you make money grow as an artist have more reach is, is selling merchandise now you, you were talking about visibility of the campaigns that you're running one of the ones that has been in the UK specifically highly vi- uh, visible and there are other similar campaigns around the world is the 100% venues campaign uh, which addresses a very specific uh, let's say a complaint from from touring artists uh, around merchandise. Can you explain what that is and what the impact has been of that? Yeah, so the the one hundred percent venues campaign launched at the beginning of twenty twenty two, and it launched. It came out of a piece of work we done with the Association of Independent Promoters, which was really how a good independent promoter would work with artists and how artists could be good parts to those independent promoters. And one of the points in that is that those promoters um, would not implement punitive commission fees on artists for the sale of the merchandise at the shows that they they ran. Now, that has long been an issue. We found clippings from old NME articles of, of sort of 40, 40 plus years ago, 30, 40 plus years ago, artists complaining that they were going to venues and then being charged fees as high as 25% plus BNT on the sale of their merch. So we, we launched the campaign at the end, uh, sorry, at the start of um, 22. And there'd been a lot of noise from the likes of Tim Burgess and Peter Hook at that point. I think as we were coming out of the pandemic, it sort of brought focus again on on how artists were getting back out on the road. And as I said, this has long been, been a bugbear for artists. So the, we decided to launch a public database of venues in the UK that didn't charge commission um, for artists selling merchandise. And that grew to many hundred, hundreds of venues across the UK. Lots of grassroots venues, but also venues including the Barbican in London, Sage Gateshead and Troxy, so some some large venues up to sort of three thousand capacity. Um, that campaign also gained quite a lot of national media traction, as you say, and Sky News ran pieces on it, the BBC ran pieces on it, and I think timing wise, it came when fans had realised how much they'd missed live music, yeah. you know? and so it brought a lot of focus on how how artists soared, how artist businesses operated. And, and how sustainable that was. And then off the back of that, at the, towards the end of, of 22, we um, we joined up with the Union for Musicians and Allied Workers and an art in, in, in America and an artist called Cato's Weapon 
in Canada and we launched an equivalent campaign there. And that that campaign actually got quite good traction and actually was discussed in the, the US Senate hearing. Mm. And then over the last couple of weeks, we, we um, published an open letter, which was supported by more than 60 music organizations and companies, although it's still growing. How reliant are emerging artists or, or artists of any sort of particular level on the money from selling merchandise? And what's the realistic impact of, of giving a percentage of that to a venue in terms of their profit? But what we would say is that the balance has likely become out of kilter and with the down pressure on fees, with the increases of costs and with the, with the um, impact on consumer demand, you feel like that balance of various parts of the music ecosystem that, that uh, invest in keeping live touring going, I feel like that balance has shifted too far against the artist. And, and so what, what we're seeing is that artists, especially emerging artists, can just no longer get out on the circuit to even, they, they just can't make it to me. So rather than, you know, just about breaking even or, or breaking even and, and going on with, you know, a little bit of a bigger audience, we're seeing the artists just financially cannot afford to get out on the road now at that merchant end. Um, and the impact of that is that we're, we're just seeing, we, I think we're seeing, seeing fewer of those restaurant shows taking place, particularly. And we're also, I think, seeing, we, we, t- take streaming for example, we're seeing artists be much more successful on their recorded music mm. no presence in the live sets and i think that we're, we're seeing a bit of that now but i think we'll see that more in in the coming years i think like lots of these issues that we often campaign on for emerging artists you don't see them until it's potentially too late and i think there's a real risk of us not seeing this moment as and this 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 environment where it's so hard for early stage artists to tour and um, there's a real risk of us looking back in five years and going ah yeah, we, we didn't invest at that point and we made it very difficult. Mm. It's, I mean, everyone is getting squeezed, right? It's really hard at the moment. I mean, and, and, and I guess, you know, to, to look at the other side, venues would say the same thing, which is, I mean, it's very hard. We've seen small venues closing, sadly, um, across the country and across the world recently. And that's that's obviously a bad thing for everybody involved, um, from, from fans of live music to the, you know, the people who work at the venues. I mean, for, from the venue's perspective then, what what can, what can they do in relation to this? You know, you've published a list of venues that don't take a percentage of merchandise sales, but I can imagine some owners of venues are saying, "Well, you know what? My my finances are tight too. Um, I'm giving venues, I'm giving the artists the space to to perform in front of an audience and then sell their goods. I'm bringing the audience to them. Why why shouldn't I take a slice? That's the that's the opposite view. But wh- where is there perhaps movement in the middle where that we can make a difference that everyone's happy with? Yeah, I mean. I take the point on, on we're giving artists space to sell their merchandise. I think if there was ways that the venues were making money, could make money other way, other ways, they would be doing. So I think I don't I don't always um, I don't always buy that argument, and I would argue that the the artists are bringing the audience to the venues in many cases, not the other way around. That said, this isn't this isn't a campaign against venues because it's no good for artists if venues can't survive. And, but but the converse is true as well. It's no good for venues if artists can't build careers and growing to becoming 
artists that really sell tickets. So again, this is this is really about balance. So as you said, there's a sort of gold standard, if you like, of those venues signed up to never charge commission in their venues. But um, in our open letter, we published four principles that we think don't go all the way to the gold standard, but we, we think are reasonable and we think venues should really be thinking about about adhering to. Uh, we, we don't really see any reason why venues can't adhere to this. And it, it sort of feeds in a little bit to your point about emerging emerging artists. So one, one of those points is that supporters should never be subject to commission on merchandise sales. And another point is that artists should be off, offered the option to staff and operate merchandise operations. So that they have control and choice and the venue has no overhead in doing um, that. All, all fees should be negotiated up front. All commission rates should be agreed because we've had circumstances where artists are turning up, they're playing the show, they're selling the merchandise right at the end of the night. Somebody's coming and saying, okay, you owe me X percent. Mm. And then every every show must be open to negotiation. So rather than there being, which has been the case in, in lots of uh, lots of venues in the past, rather than being a it is twenty five percent plus fat, take it or leave it, we don't believe that that's a, a suitable approach. So we believe that every show sh- should be there should be a conversation between the artist and the venue about the commission rate that's charged. Them. So we're, we're now in open dialogue with the Cattle Music Group about what that means, about explaining to them how big an impact that is for artists. And, you know, we're, we're, talk about, we're talking about support acts and emerging acts particularly, but I would say there's, there's a sort of fallacy about artists that are playing 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 capacity rooms. There's this idea, I think, there's this perception that they're doing incredibly well if they're doing those runs not always the case and and making those types of shows and that sort of tour circuit and um, financially viable is a challenge so it's really good the Calme music group open to this conversation now yeah yeah for international listeners of course they're, they're one of the biggest operators of uh, venues across the uk and uh, of all sorts of different sizes um and again again this, this is a, a message we hear a lot isn't it at the moment which is that artists want more transparency again i guess that's a sort of the uh uh, the starting point for a lot of these conversations. Um, I will put a link to the um, 100% Venues campaign uh, as well beneath the podcast and people can uh, have a look at that and, uh, and see what uh, uh, the artists are asking for and, and what those principles are as well. Um, David, before we wrap things up, one final question, um, which is to add external context to everything you've just said, which is, we talk, we've talked about music business, but what about music? If you could listen to one piece of music for the rest of your life, what would it be? I think it would be something from Joy Division. It'd probably be closer, I think. Mm. It's a, obviously a famously good album, but why Why is that the one that strikes the chord with, with you? I think very early memories of, of New Order, actually, from an older mm. cousin. And, and that was sort of what I remember at a point when, when New Order was kind of pop. I was about the right age and that sort of synthesizer mm. with guitars, crossover sound really influenced was into I think and then obviously as you get older you start to dig into past and read sleeve notes etc etc and I became a huge Joy Division fan and I think it ticks a lot of there's a lot in there there's a lot packed into what they do there's a lot packed into their style there's a very dark sort of 
element to that. Yes. And grow, I was going to say, grow, if, you're, if you're going to isolate yourself with one album forever, that's it's, it's a, a telling yeah, choice, no isn't it? But uh, yeah, wow. Well, to my my sensibilities, yeah. I think a little bit. It's, it's my musical sensibilities, and yeah. So I think it would uh, yeah. be that. But that's a near, nearly impossible question. This is an like, impossible question, yeah, yeah. Which is which is why I ask everybody. I can't think there's many bands that that you get two great bands that are connected but so different and there's so much to dig into like you say there so much to enjoy with with those two artists that, that are the same artists you know so yeah i can i can i can empathize with your choice uh i'll put a link to that as well so uh, uh david thanks ever so much uh, for joining us on the podcast thanks very much joe all right and there you go there's plenty of links next to the podcast to help you investigate some of the things david was talking about and if you found that useful please share the podcast on with someone else who you think will get something useful out of it and if you want to get in touch with me i would love to hear from you you can email me as ever at joe at musically.com that's joe j-o-e at musically.com we also have a free weekly email that goes out every single friday called the knowledge which rounds up bits and pieces of the best analysis news marketing insight and skills from music ally the link is in the description around the podcast, sign up and impress your boss. Uh, there's also a uh, smaller version of it that goes out on LinkedIn. So find Music Ally on LinkedIn. You can follow us there. That's it. Thank you, as ever, for joining us. I've been Joe Sparrow. You've been you. And until the next Music Ally Focus, farewell.